right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Wish him all the best, and, um, you know, we're ready for him to... I wouldn't say we're ready for him to be back. I mean, sure, we are. Of course, we we miss him around here at KLWN, but, you know, he's having a swell time right now in Germany. Uh, He'll be back next week, so uh, don't you worry about that. Uh, On today's show, we're going to open talking about KU Baseball hiring a new coaching staff. Uh, They hired the new coaching staff last week. Didn't get a chance to talk much about it because the NBA draft kind of overshadowed everything, so we'll... Talk about that in length to start things off. We'll have some more Best of RCST trivia for you all week long. Round two of the tournament starting today. We had to do all of round one, all 32 matchups of them a week ago. So there are 31 matchups remaining in the entire tournament in the second round. Sizzling 16, grade eight, phenomenal four in the championship. We'll get those all to you this week. We'll start off the second round today. Case of the Mondays at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. At the top of the 5 o'clock, got a top 10 for you that Derek pre-recorded where he pre-recorded all the top 10 plays for every round of the NCAA tournament for Kansas basketball from the first round all the way to the championship. We did the first round on Friday against Texas Southern, so today's will be the second round against the Creighton Blue Jays. That was a close matchup, but KU ultimately pulled through. Obviously won the whole thing in the end. And then at about 5.30, there were two champions crowned over the weekend. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But first things first, Kansas baseball. And as a guy who, myself, I was the voice of Kansas baseball a season ago. So, you know, I'm trying to give them not quite my undivided attention, but definitely um, definitely a lot of attention when it comes to that. Because, uh, you know, with the new coaching staff, you know, we still wish all the best. Rich Price, uh, assistant coaches Richie Price, uh, Ryan Graves, Jack Meggs, all incredible people. Uh, that I had the honor and privilege to be around all season long last year, cover all 55 games of Kansas baseball a season ago, travel with them, ultimately just be a part of the team. Uh, It's an honor that I definitely will miss. And uh, even though Kansas baseball didn't perform the best that we definitely want to a season ago, finishing 20 and 35 at the bottom of the conference, uh, it was still a lot of fun to be around everybody. And, uh, you know, it's an honor to uh, have have been uh, the voice of Kansas baseball in the final year of head coach Rich Price, the winningest coach in Kansas baseball history. But with a new guy, Dan Fitzgerald, coming in, uh, basically really did focus a bit around the recruiting front because that is what Dan Fitzgerald is known for, is uh, the recruiting that he did while he was at Dallas Baptist and when and when he was at LSU. So he brought three guys together, uh, one to help out as a pitching coach, one as a hitting coach, and then also one being the recruiting director, but all three of which being assistant coaches and helping out the program as much as they can. But all three were recruiting coordinators at some point in their career, and it looks like that was something that he wanted to focus on. All three assistants served as recruiting coordinators at the Division One level, no less, and then also had some coaching stints uh, as low as the JUCO level and as high as Division One baseball. Uh, so this is this is a quote that uh, Dan Fitzgerald said about these guys, and this is on the KU Athletics website. Uh, he and this is also uh, all around uh, reported everywhere. Uh, he said, "I am extremely excited about the staff, and it, that is coming to Kansas. All three of these men are excellent leaders, developers, and recruiters. It's critical to bring in a group that has worked in different settings and can combine their philosophies to teach our student athletes. The knowledge and hard work this coaching staff will bring to the program." will help us compete in the Big 12 on an annual basis. So let's go ahead and introduce to you the assistant coaches that he hired. Uh, First off, the pitching coach uh, by the name of Brandon Scott. 
He just came in after serving as the pitching coach and recruiter, uh, recruiting coordinator for six years at SIU Edwardsville. Uh, and his pitching staff was actually really good at SIUE. Um, even though, I mean, they've only been a Division One program for now 13 years, SIU Edwardsville has been. Uh, but in the six years that he was there, over his first four full seasons, the ERA lowered year by year by year, which is which is great to see. Uh, also set team records for strikeouts in 2018 and 2019, pitching strikeouts at that. And then prior to the 2020 season, when the season was canceled, SIU Edwardsville was ranked sixth in the country in strikeouts per nine innings pitched. Now, yeah, SIU Edwardsville is in a conference that's, you know, not as offensively sound as the Big 12 is when it comes to baseball. Heck, we saw one Big 12 team go to the College World Series finals and two Big 12 teams go to the College World Series in general. But pitching is was basically a downfall for Kansas a season ago, and that's something that Dan Fitzgerald has really focused on. So bringing in Brandon Scott, a guy with a uh, track record and a resume that he has is incredible. Uh, he pretty much since he, he was a volunteer assistant for one year at Eastern Kentucky. That was back in 2007. But since 2007, he has been a pitching coach and recruiting coordinator all the way up to this past season, starting off at Des Moines Area Community College in 2007 through 2010. Then at Wabash Valley College from 2014 to 16, and then most recently 16 to 2022, at SIU Edwardsville. So basically at, at a Des Moines Area Community College, he was an assistant with with Dan Fitzgerald. So these are so these these are guys that basically Dan knew at one point or another. Um and they know that they have a terrific track record, and that's what made the Des Moines Area Community College so good was their coaching staff. So the the highlights that um are presented for Brandon Scott, basically the stats going like this. 60 student-athletes transferring to play Division I baseball with all of the uh, JUCOs that he was with, that being Des Moines Area Community College and Wabash Valley College. 60 student-athletes transferring to play Division I baseball. 20 MLB draft selections. 8 NJCAA, which is NCAA for JUCO. 8 All-Americans. 5 Regional Pitchers of the Year. 2 MLB Players. 1 JUCO National Player of the Year. And 1 ABCA Player of the Year. That's a good resume. Got to admit, it's great. And even though those are small colleges, and then the one Division One level that he was actually with is pretty small, you know, you do have to work your way up at some point. And I think bringing a program like Kansas could possibly really help out. Uh, Fitzgerald said about uh, 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 Brandon Scott, uh, he said, Brandon and I worked together at Des Moines Area Community College for three seasons. His experience and success Recruiting and developing pitchers is why he was one of my first calls when I accepted the job at KU. His familiarity with the Midwest region and ability to identify top pitchers will be a, will be essential to bringing some of the best talent to Kansas. I got to say I agree. Just given what he's done to the programs that he's been to, really helped out I me. Mean, in 2015, Wabash Valley claimed the Region 24 championship. 47-13 and 13 record when he was at Wabash Valley College. And the pitching staff finished the year with a 2.4 ERA and a ratio of over one strikeout per inning. 506 strikeouts in 465 innings. And it also says when he was at Wabash Valley College, 19 pitchers continued to play at the higher level. Eight pitchers went to play at Division One. Following tw or from the 2016 season, and then following 2015, 11 pitchers move on to the D1 level. That's incredible. You know, the way that he's able to, oh, what's the word? Develop pitchers. The way that he's able to develop pitchers and basically let them pitch at a high level. I think he's a good get for Kansas. Next, uh, this would be the hitting coach, Tyler Hancock. Uh, he just finished a stint at, as the assistant coach at California Baptist, but he worked with Dan Fitzgerald at Dallas Baptist in 2019 through 2020 as the volunteer assistant coach. He also had a stint with SIU Edwardsville with Brandon Scott, and that was back from 2016 to 2019. Tyler Hancock was a just an assistant coach. So now he comes in. 
from Cal- from California Baptist, where he served as the recruiting coordinator. He also worked with catchers, infielders, and outfielders. And during his two years, they went 76 and 36, 47 and 19 in conference play. And out of the whack, in 2021, they shared the regular season title with a 29 and 7 conference record. Wow. That's a pretty good record. Uh, basically, uh, like I mentioned, 2021 WAC regular season title. Also had the WAC Player of the Year in 2021. And then in this past season, the 2022 WAC Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, so he's also got a good track record uh, with him, with being around uh, solid hitters out of California Baptist. So he's been with three schools at the Division one, four schools at the Division one WAC record, actually. Uh, level, my bad. Four schools in one level. Southern Illinois, SIU Edwardsville, Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, Dallas Baptist, California Baptist, and then moving on to KU. Uh, no doubt with all these assistant coaches, the highest level that they will be at, but still good gets in my opinion. He's a guy from the Midwest, originally from Oklahoma. Got a, He's actually not a stranger to the Sunflower State, but to Cali County Community College in 2010, graduated in 2010. Got his associates, got his bachelor's out of Newman University in sports communication, and then went down to southwestern Oklahoma State where he got a master's in education and sports management. That was at southwestern Oklahoma State. But still, uh, Dan Fitzgerald says that he's a bright rising star in college baseball coaching, had the opportunity to work with him a season at Dallas Baptist where he learned where he was an excellent addition to the staff, just like he will be here at KU. He also says, quote, Tyler was an assistant. an outstanding college baseball player and hitter. He will be able to instill his hitting knowledge into our student athletes to help us, to help make us one of the best offenses in the Big 12. KU was about middle of the road when it came to uh, hitting in conference uh, against conference opponents. So they weren't, their, their offense wasn't bad. It, basically, the downfall from a season ago was their pitching. So I think Brandon Scott was a good get. Uh, but I know the offense still has to come in from time to time because they did have their struggles some games. There were some games where they would score 12, some where they would only score two. Um, so basically, it was a bit inconsistent. It happens a lot in baseball, but basically was less consistent than it should have been is basically what I'm trying to say. And I know last season, they had they had great guys. Uh, Jack Meggs was a great hitting coach. Rich Price also helped out quite a lot. Same with Richie Price here and there. And, of course, producing star talents on offense with Maui Ahuna, who uh, transferred to Tennessee, so he'll be in the SEC next season. Also having guys like Caleb Upshaw and Tavian Josenberger leading the charge on offense uh, was great. Uh, Next up, recruiting coordinator by the name of John Coyne. He was the infield coach and recruiting coordinator from New Mexico for the past four seasons. Prior to that, he was the recruiting coordinator at Cisco College and Howard College. So a couple of Division I programs that he's been to. Uh, 20 MLB draft selections, highest-ranked high school recruiting class in program history at New Mexico in 2020, which was 33rd by perfect game. And he was at New Mexico. The JUCO signing classes in 2022 were ranked 20th best in the country. And in 2020, was number 22 in the country. That that all sounds so confusing when you read it on paper because that's going to get jumbled around in your head. But they, those are pretty good. Um, JUCO signing classes, great. High school recruiting classes, great. Um, with him also being a bit of a hitting coach, an infield coach, uh, New Mexico hit at, at least 285 every year under his hitting construction. In 2018, when he was at Howard... Uh, they led the NJCAA, all of the National JUCO Collegiate Athletics Association, every JUCO school in the country, in home runs with 131. And Cisco, when he was there, made the College World Series in 2016, the JUCO College World Series. Uh, what he says about what Dan Fischel says about John Coyne is that uh, he is one of the best recruiters in the country, and that's one of the reasons why I asked him to come to KU. His ability to connect with student athletes. And develop them into great baseball players and men is extraordinary. John's recruiting roots are in the South, and we will use his expertise in that region to identify and sign top talent. So basically, he's looking for and what it sounds like, maybe looking for a bit of a pipeline out of the South, which 
you know, he's he's a tenth through and through. Was is from Fort Worth. Went to North Texas University, um, or the University of North Texas, whichever. And Texas always brings a lot of great baseball players around the region. So I think that 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 might be the plan is to look uh, look for guys in the South. Probably try to you know be more of a pipeline in those areas. Uh, the one constant that's staying in the coaching staff, uh, Wally Marcial, still going to be the director of baseball operations. I had a chance to work with him last year. Incredible guy, incredible director of ops. Uh, he did everything right in the book, in my opinion, and I think that's uh, that's why he uh, that's why he's staying put. You know, he was the, he was in charge of helping coordinate travel, coordinate meals, managing all the operations and camps, logistical support at games, and incorporating technology into student athletes' development. I think he was. I think he was terrific last season. And I'm glad he stay uh, that he's staying. Uh, Dan said about Wally. Uh, he's been an integral part of the day to day behind the scenes efforts for Kansas baseball over the last eight seasons. His relationships with the best student athletes, or his relationships with these student athletes, baseball alumni, and community will be invaluable to our whole staff. He was a he was a pitcher for KU. Graduated back in 2011. So he's. He basically eats, sleeps, and breathes Kansas baseball his whole life. And then in 2014, he was the hired as the director of ops uh, for Kansas baseball. So, you know, I, I think staying with Wally, being the director of ops for KU baseball, uh, is probably the best choice, I believe, in my opinion. Because, like I said with myself, working with Wally, amazing director of ops, even better person. So, all in all, great pickups, in my opinion, by Dan Fitzgerald. And... If he could really turn this program around, you know, maybe more NCAA tournament appearances, you know, maybe, heck, a College World Series here and there if that's possible. Um, I think that would be absolutely incredible. This is Lane Gillespie with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Got some best of RCSC trivia coming up on the under end of this on the other end of this break. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017-1320-KLWN. Bend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I got to get out of here. I think I'm going to lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How oh, does it calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. That time again, beginning of the week. It's Monday. Yeah, I know we all hate it, <laughs> but we gotta we gotta go to work. Gotta go. I almost said school, but it's the end of June and there's no school anymore. But you know, it's the uh, beginning of the week. Gotta go to work. So I'm sure all of you are having a case of the Mondays. Uh, but we're gonna tell you who more specifically has a case of the Mondays. So as I cue the music, yeah. All right, case of the Mondays. Let's go. First up, I'm sure Jayhawk fans are going to be happy about this. So a week ago, I did the Longhorns fans were having a case of the Mondays uh, because, you know, the College World Series, they were swept. I say swept, but they were. they. It's a double elimination in the College World Series, and uh, they lost their first two games in the College World Series. So they were out. Texas A&M and Oklahoma was moving on. So now, Sooners fans, uh, they were swept in the College World Series after being undefeated going to the College World Series Finals. They were swept in the College World Series Finals, I should say. Ole Miss won the national championship, uh, which I'll have more on Ole Miss winning uh, later on in the show. But they were swept, and uh, they're not they are not too happy about it. They're not too thrilled about it. And not only that, Arch, uh, I, I broke the news on Friday. Arch Manning, the number one overall recruit for the class of 2023, uh, is committing to Texas. He's the third quarterback in history to have 
a composite score on 24-7 of a perfect 1,000. The third quarterback in history, the last of which was Vince Young, and he won a national title with Texas. So, yeah, Sooner fans are not going to be thrilled about that. Uh, so their their next few seasons of football are going to be a little difficult. So they're uh, feeling case of the Mondays right now. Next up, so the Wimbledon tournament started today. The Wimbledon in tennis compared to the Wimbledon golf or whatever. I, I don't know what I'm saying here. Wimbledon started today. Uh, it's the first round, and one of the ball boys having a case of the Mondays. Looked like he was feeling ill and feeling faint. Of course, I feel bad for the kid. Uh, had to stop play. Jody Barrage, a British tennis player, had to stop play. What did she give the ball boy? Candy to make him feel better. Uh, gave him a, a candy known as Percy Pigs, which I have no idea what in the world that is. Uh, except for it's a British candy. But, uh, you know, the ball boy, I'm sure, felt very embarrassed. Uh, I do feel for him, but I'm pretty sure he felt very embarrassed. Uh, for basic, Basically, they had to stop playing because of him. And when you're a ball boy, you're, you're, you're supposed to act like one of the royal guards in Great Britain. Basically, you're kind of just supposed to be emotionless and just stand there until you have to give someone a ball or you have to yell or you're like yelling if a ball was out or something like that. So, yeah, got to feel bad for him. And I'm sure he's very embarrassed. Next up, Knicks fans, Clippers fans, Heat fans. So last week I talked about uh, Kyrie Irving. Um, he was having a contract dispute with the Nets and he was saying that um, he wasn't like saying explicitly that he wants to leave the Nets, but he, he's hinting at it. And the biggest suitors were the Knicks, Clippers, Heat, and the Lakers. Well, now only the Lakers are interested in doing a trade and sign with Kyrie Irving. Only the Lakers, and that's it. The Heat, I can kind of understand if they wanted to buy out. They already have a lot of... Um, they already have a lot of talent, and they're, like, way beyond uh, the salary cap. Clippers kind of get it. Yeah, they need that talent, but, um, you know, they'll be fine without them. Knicks. Yikes. <laughs> I know I gave I gave Knicks fans a lot of crap last week uh, because of what they did in the draft. And, because, and part of me thought over the weekend, you know, maybe this could be a good thing because they maybe they're just pushing to get Kyrie Irving. Well, now they're not even interested in the guy, which I can kind of get because... Um, you have to, um, you have, you know, the controversy that he has, and you kind of have to get that in your mind. Um, but yeah, um, all four teams are already well above the salary cap, but the Knicks are the lowest above the cap, which should give them, which should have gave them more of a reason to get Kyrie Irving, but they're not interested. And yeah, maybe they didn't want to deal with the drum because heck it's possible. Kyrie is probably becoming the next. Um, Antonio Brown. So that, that's that's the thing. You, you could also include the Brooklyn Nets are having a case of the Mondays because Brian Windhorst of ESPN said that the Nets are prepared to lose Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Nets fans should be uh, prepared for that as well. And uh, that's uh, that's not good. It's that that's not gonna be fun. Next, some dog in Arizona. Uh, a Chinese crested Chihuahua mix in Arizona. His name is Mr. Happy Face was crowned as the world's ugliest dog in a pageant in California. I would hate to be a dog that's that's just named the world's ugliest dog. And you obviously wouldn't see that with humans. This is the world's ugliest human. There'd probably be like speculation or something like that. Um, 
but there's not going to be a pageant for who the ugliest person is. I would hate to be a dog that's named the world's ugliest dog. Um, I wonder how the owners feel about that, or maybe they just have the dog for the money. I don't know. Um, and, but one reason that people have pets is because they're darn cute and they're companions and stuff like that. But having an ugly dog, in my opinion, chihuahuas are kind of ugly anyway. I'm not a huge fan of chihuahuas. Don't tell my girlfriend I said that because she has a chihuahua uh, at her family's house and they absolutely adore him. Um, but I think chihuahuas are kind of ugly anyway, but that just, that, that kind of was just a cherry on top. Next, the Cleveland Browns, especially their quarterback situation. Well, We've all seen the meme of the jersey with the amount of starting quarterbacks over the past, like, 20 years or something like that. And that list might start to be added. So, there are more and more rumors that the Browns could trade Baker Mayfield. And there's a possible trade to the Panthers and the Seattle Seahawks. And I've heard the Seahawks may be close to a deal for a trade for Baker Mayfield. Well, the second string quarterback is Deshaun Watson. Well, we all know everything that's going on with Deshaun over the past few months. He is meeting with the NFL's disciplinary staff, and his hearing is tomorrow, and it is likely he could be suspended for a full season. So two former uh, All-Pros, Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson, may not be able to play for the Browns next year. Who's the third string quarterback? Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. Um, could they trade Baker for a QB? I don't know. Because the Seahawks, you know, they I, I forget who they traded for with the uh, with the Broncos. I think they traded for Drew Locke, so Drew Locke might be a get. Uh, with, the Panther, with the Panthers, could there be a trade for Baker Mayfield for Cam Newton? I think if that's the case, I think the Browns lose that trade. Um, Browns fans are optimistic, but, you know. Last but certainly not least, the Stanley Cup. Yes, an inanimate object has a case of the Mondays. Well, it's because after the Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. By the way, shout out to Sam Speck. Uh, one of our staffers here uh, on KLWN. He uh, is an Avalanche fan. I'm sure he was celebrating last night. The Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. But um, the team was celebrating with the Stanley Cup last night, and uh, it did not take long for the Stanley Cup trophy to get damaged because as players were taking a lap around and were ready to have their team picture taken, with the Stanley Cup. Avalanche player Nicolas Abkubel, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, I don't watch enough hockey, was carrying the trophy toward his teammates when he tripped and fell, and the bottom of the trophy was dented. It had only been minutes since the Avalanche even had the trophy, and they somehow damaged it. Now, it's, it's happened a lot where the Stanley Cup is damaged one form or another. But people are saying this has got to be a record for how quick it was to get damaged. Uh, so, yeah, it, that was that was quick. Uh, so, yeah, Avalanche, case of the Mondays because they damaged the Stanley Cup. Uh, now, it, I mean, I, I've heard, or at least this is what Sam told me, it's it's all, that's only one of two Stanley Cups that are actually put on display. Um, so the other one's going to be totally fine. But that one, if that is the one that uh, is uh, at stadiums, hung up for the fans to see, that will definitely be a note of sort. Those case of the Mondays. This is Lane Gillespie with Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 1320 KLWN. We got some more best of RCST trivia for you on the other end of this break. Stay with us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Did you know that on our website, KLWN.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059KissFM.com, Bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. 
We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click hometown deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. What's up? Another top 10 list coming at you. Derek Johnson here. Put these in the can before I left for Germany. Might be a, a few steins deep by now, but not for the purpose of this. Uh, if you were listening, that means we're getting to the top 10 plays of Creighton here. You would have already heard the top 10 plays from Texas Southern. Again, we have these in video form. You can go to our Twitter account at RCST1320 to see those. Let's get away with the top 10 list, though, from KU basketball plays in their win over Creighton in the second round of the 2022 NCAA tournament. Number 10. 10th on the list. And in terms of impact, this would be higher. That That's part of what goes into these lists. It's not just what was the most important play. It's also, you know, how much was it the other team just messing up? How much was it just a cool play athletically? How much was it just a great play in a vacuum where it doesn't matter the score or the time or the moment? Now, now the moment and the score and the time does matter here, but that can't be the be-all, end-all. Nonetheless, this one on there for number 10, it's more of a minute play over the course of time, but given the importance, it gets it into the top 10 list. KU's up 77-72. There's like 18 seconds left in the game over Creighton. And Creighton still has a timeout. Ochag Baji misses the front end of a one-and-one. If Creighton grabs that rebound and goes down, let's say they hit a three because we saw him hit plenty of those in that game against Kansas. All of a sudden, it's a two-point game. Um, I don't remember if KU would have still been shooting a one and one after that. Um, no, I think I think that from there it would have been double bonus. Uh, but nonetheless, you go one of two, your next trip to the free throw line, all of a sudden it's a three-point game. Creighton has a chance to tie at the buzzer or something like that. So it kind of sealed the deal. Ochai misses the front end of the one and one. Jalen Wilson squeezes in between the lane, grabs the rebound. Then he goes down and hits the two free throws after that. That was kind of the nail in the coffin play. Gets it to number 10 on the list, but certainly would be higher on that if you were just talking about importance. Number nine. The ninth best play for KU in their second round win over Creighton. It's 51-50, little under 13 minutes to go. KU's up. Uh, David McCormick's getting fronted in the post, I believe by Ryan Hawkins. Ochai throws a great pass inside to him to the post. Dave takes it up, hits the shot, banks it off the window, gets fouled from behind, gets the end one and a big make for KU in what was a very close game all throughout. Number eight. Eighth best play for KU. Offensive rebound by David McCormick through two guys. He was kind of being sandwiched between a couple players, including Arthur Kaluma, who had an unbelievable game. Ryan Hawkins did as well. And he somehow just muscles his way in for the rebound. It almost looked like you were playing pool basketball and just trying to like battle through and you know, there's no fouls. And he just grabs that thing. He goes up with it, finishes strong, just missed the dunk. It was kind of one of those where you get right to the rim and you just kind of like drop it in, so to speak. I think he probably could have dunked it if he wanted to. Um, but that was a great rebound, great finish by Dave. And at the time, it um, gave KU a 45-41 lead with 18 minutes to go in the second half. Number six. The sixth best play, or I'm sorry, I think we skipped one. Let's go back. Number seven. Seventh best play. Christian Brown gets a steal at the right wing. It's a three-on-one. Defender cues on him, but he doesn't care. He takes it to the rim. He does the kind of like, almost like windmill layup where he kind of just keeps the defender away from the ball and then kind of up and under just scoop shots the layup in. Nice play, nice display of defense turning into offense for Christian Brown. Number six. Sixth best play. KU's up 49-45, 14 and a half minutes to go in the second half. Remy Martin catches it at the left wing, and he was so darn good in the game. He was electric in the first half. Second half didn't have as great of a half. Um, but this is a shot we saw him hit multiple times in the tournament. He takes it up to kind of the left elbow area, gets the defender kind of on their back heel, and then does the kind of spin around fading jump shot off one foot. It looks like it's going to go in, but it doesn't. The play here is made by Ochag Baji. At that point... Remy was doing everything, and Ochai was struggling. But Ochai kind of makes something happen on his own accord. He somehow squeezes in. There are bodies all around him. There's two Creighton players. I think David McCormick's around him as well. He just he, he just wanted it more. He, he fought for the ball. He grabs it. He goes back up with it, gets a layup off of that, and that kind of got him going a little bit. Again, wasn't an ultra-efficient game. Gave KU a bit of a lead at that point. 
and uh, certainly KU needed that play from Big Oach. Number five. Into the top five, KU up 73-72. Now, um, you could argue that this play might be, again, like number one in terms of importance. And I think I'd probably echo that. Like, in terms of the sequence that happened, this was probably the most important play in that game. The reason it's number five is because it, it was less about what Kansas was doing. And it was more about Creighton just kind of messed up. And that doesn't take away anything from Kansas. Like, that always is funny to me in athletics. We talk about, yeah, well, if my team didn't mess this up, then we would have won. It's like, that's part of human error. That is part of athletics. You can't just go into a game saying everything's going to be perfect. There are going to be times when you mess up. So Creighton throws the ball away with a minute to go. It tips off the hands of Alex O'Connell. That lets Ochai get it. Ochai speeds all the way to the rim. Left-handed dunk to throw it down. Gives KU a little bit of a cushion late after it looked like they might blow that lead late. And they end up getting a three-point lead. Um, from there, they they end up you know pulling away and not allowing any more Creighton points. So, in terms of importance, probably number one. But because it was maybe less about like Kansas didn't deflect the ball or Ochai didn't just read it and, and rip it away. It was just a bad pass that was errant that missed a guy um, that turned into a steal. That's why it's down at number five. But don't let it be lost how key it was to the game. Number four. Number four, this is early in the first half, 11 and a half minutes to go. KU's up 17-16. Creighton enters the ball down low. I think it's Ryan Hawkins. He tries to spin it around on Mitch Lightfoot. Lightfoot rejects it, smacks it out, leads to a break. Remy Martin leading the charge in the middle. It's a three-on-two. He's got Christian Brown to his right, Jalen Wilson to his left. He goes up like he's going to shoot it and kind of double fakes and then just finds a a little pass right into a a bit of space to Jalen Wilson to his left, who goes up through contact, finishes a tough layup off the window. That was a uh, nice play to watch, certainly. All around, defense turning into transition offense, which we know this team was so elite at this season. Number three. Into the top three, KU up 47-43, 16 and a half minutes to go. Ryan Hawkins gets it inside. David McCormick smacks it off the backboard, one of two big blocks for David McCormick in the game. The other one we'll get to in a second. And after it hits off the backboard, Christian Brown gathers the rebound, takes it coast to coast, Kind of a a Eurostep finger roll from Christian Brown. Kind of an awkward release, awkward finish. But that's part of what made Christian Brown so good. It's it's tough to defend him when you can't really predict what he's going to do. And it was a great finish for him. Um, That, the number three play. And that's kind of a common theme. Defensive plays, nice defensive play, turns into a nice offensive play. Number two. The second best play. I mentioned the Remy Martin kind of charge up, then stop in the mid-range on a dime, gets the defender on their back heel, and then... You spin around, fire the fading jumper off the off foot. He hit one in the first half. KU was up 33-32, 2.46 to go. Gets to the free throw line, gets the defender off his back heels, turns around, spin jumper, knocks it down. It was just the epitome of the first half that he had. KU doesn't win that game without Remy Martin. Number one. But the number one play from KU's win over Creighton. You can probably guess it. Um... Guards driving in for Creighton. There's 35 seconds left. It's 75-72. So if Creighton makes a shot here, then it's going to be really kind of uh, clenching time at the end of the game. KU making free throws, not turning it over, making stops. Instead, KU gets a stop right there. And the guard actually beats um, KU um, in, in terms of getting to the lane. Basically what happens is there's a switch that leads to David McCormick defending a guard. And the guard is able to, like I said, get him into the lane. But Dave is still close enough that with his length, he's able to block it from behind, off the backboard, on top of it. Ochagbaji does a great job of securing the rebound, getting position between a couple Creighton players. That then leads to the free throw opportunity um, or free throw opportunities. And KU ends up winning the game. David McCormick, once again, huge in the NCAA tournament. That is our second top 10 list for KU's NCAA tournament runs. We'll have another one coming up soon at some point. I don't know. It depends when the guys back at the studio play it for the uh, top 10 plays for KU against Providence in the Sweet 16. I'm Derek Johnson. Back to you guys. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives 
of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear. Plus, they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word, for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Hello again. This is Lane Gillespie with Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 1320 KLWN. Derek's still in Germany, as far as I know. Anyway. I need to stop making that joke. I need to come up with more original material. Anyway, there's a reason why I didn't make it as a comedian. Uh, crowned a couple of champions over the last weekend. Let's talk about it for a little bit. Uh, the Stanley Cup and the College World Series were both finished. So college baseball and hockey, both done for a while. So first off, let's talk about the uh, Stanley Cup. The Colorado Avalanche winning in six games. And like I mentioned earlier, shout out to... Uh, KLWN's, uh, uh, KLWN staffer, Sam Speck, big time, uh, avalanche fan. I'm sure he was celebrating, uh, a lot last night. So yeah, Colorado, Colorado avalanche winning in six games. And they got off to a really good start in the Stanley cup finals, uh, overtime win over Tampa Bay back on the 15th of June. Uh, and then a seven to nothing shellacking at home. So they were up two nothing to begin with. And then the, uh, the lightning finally said enough is enough. 6-2 win when they finally got back home for game three. And then from then on out, uh, Colorado, uh, they were up 3-1 to one after another overtime win uh, last Wednesday on the 22nd. And Friday, uh, back at Colorado, 3-2, to two, Tampa Bay, just keeping things close. And yeah, these last few games were really close. It was a 2-1 to one win uh, for Colorado in game six, and they were able to celebrate their first Stanley Cup win in 21 years. 2001 was the last time that they did so. And for Tampa Bay, unable to get the three-peat. And uh, in the major sports in the United States, I actually found this neat stat. Uh, there have been a lot of opportunities for teams to three-peat uh, with you know, winning back-to-back titles and then reaching the finals for that third year. Uh, for instance... Golden State Warriors, Miami Heat, just a few. And then the Lightning also fall into this one. But on that third year, they don't win. So the last team to three-peat are the Los Angeles Lakers back in the early 2000s, from 2000 to 2002, with uh, Shaq and the late, great Kobe Bryant. Uh, Yeah, how neat is that stat? A lot of opportunities to three-peat by a lot of franchises all around uh, the country and all around and uh, in the four major sports in the United States, that being uh, NFL, NBA, NHL, and MLB. And yeah, no team has done it in all of those French and all of those uh, leagues since 2002. So, uh, and I, and I mentioned this, uh, just kind of a funny moment that happened. Um, I mentioned this in the case of the Mondays, the Stanley cup was dented in the uh, celebration because as they were going in for uh, the team picture, the guy that was holding the uh, the Stanley Cup tripped and fell on it. It dented it. It didn't really like destroy it, just dented it. So, yeah. Um, good job by the Colorado Avalanche. I believe the, I don't know, is Colorado or St. Louis the closest team from here in Lawrence? I think it's honestly just about a split um, between Colorado Avalanche and uh, St. Louis Blues. Uh, the Blues winning the Stanley Cup a few years ago. Anyway, so yeah, uh, the NHL crowning their champion in the Colorado Avalanche. Congratulations to them. Next up, uh, something I've really been keeping a close track on, that being college baseball. Um, college World Series finished off in two games, and that was a pretty fun. That was a pretty fun uh, second game. It was uh, the Ole Miss sweeping Oklahoma. Uh, in the best of three game series, and they won in two games. So, Ole Miss, uh, they were absolutely phenomenal. And how about this? You know, Derek and I talked for a while about, you know, there's the there's those teams that can be you could be the worst out of the sixty four 
uh, that make it in the NCAA tournament and still win a title. That's exactly what Ole Miss was from the last four in to a national champion and a College World Series winner, their first in program history. That is absolutely incredible. And kudos to Oklahoma, another team that not quite the last four in because they won the Big 12 tournament, but before the tournament, they nobody knew it was a bit of a toss-up of whether or not they were actually going to make the NCAA tournament. They won the Big 12 tournament, so they were automatic qualifiers, and they made it all the way to the College World Series finals. And again, uh, you know, with me being, the, I was the voice of Kansas baseball last season. I know I mentioned that time and again. I knew how good Oklahoma was. I did not think they would be this good. I did not think that they would be College World Series potential. I mean, I'm happy for them, but at the same time, you know, Ole Miss was clearly the better team out of the two. Uh, game one, uh, Ole Miss up early, up often in game one. 10 to three was the final. Uh, that was last Saturday. So that was two days ago. Um, and they uh, 16 base hits for Ole Miss as well. Um, and they, they started off hot, ended hot as well. Six of their 10 runs came in the eighth and ninth inning combined. So yeah, that was, uh, that was incredible. They hit, there was a one point where they hit back to back to back home runs, uh, by Ole Miss. I think that was in the eighth inning. Yeah. They hit back to back to back home runs. So Ole Miss. Wow. Uh, I mean, that was, uh, that was incredible. Yep. That was the eighth inning. Uh, where they hit back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. But, yeah, at one point, they were up 4 nothing. Oklahoma started coming back, made it a two-run game. Uh, and then that's when Ole Miss sort of exploded from there. 10-3 uh, to three was the final in game one. Um, pitching staff did absolutely phenomenal for Ole Miss. A combined five runs allowed. Uh, I believe all of them being earned, yeah, because there was an error by both teams in game one. So, yeah, I think it was uh, all of them were allowed. Yeah, looking at it, they were all allowed. But still, uh, it, it was honestly just Ole Miss's offense breaking through against the Sooners pitching staff. And they have a great pitching staff, mind you. They have some great starters. I think we saw one of those starters on uh, Sunday. I'm just totally blanking on the name, and I kind of hate that I am. But, yeah, totally blanking on the name. Starts with a C. Anyway, um, we saw that because through eight, through seven innings, they only allowed one run. Oklahoma did. Cade Horton. That's who I was thinking of. Cade Horton. Dude's a star. Seven and a third's innings thrown in game two with 13 strikeouts. And the only run, he actually had two earned runs because of one of them that came across in the eighth inning uh, was technically his. And then they brought in the closer, Trevin Michael, who ended up giving up the game. Trevin Michael is the guy or Oklahoma, where if you if you paid attention to Kansas baseball this year, there was the 14-inning game between Kansas and Oklahoma. That was game two of the series. And Trevin Michael was the one that pitched from the ninth through the 14th inning against KU and did not allow a run. I knew how good they were, and I knew how good he was, but this Ole Miss offense found opportunities time and again to get on base and bring guys in around a score, and especially in game two. They were down 2-1, to one, going to the bottom of the eighth inning, and they scored three to give themselves the lead, and then they would eventually win. So it was it was honestly just absolutely a phenomenal job by Ole Miss. And, I, you know, I was kind of thinking back, and Oklahoma kind of reminded me of the Kansas City Royals in 2014 because they started off the playoffs really well. They were undefeated going to the College World Series. The Royals in 2014 uh, won the wild card, swept the Angels, swept the Orioles. So they were undefeated going to the World Series. Now, ro- the Royals were not swept in 2014. In fact, they lost by one run in Game 7. But the the Sooners, you could kind of still draw that comparison because they met against great team after great team after great team, and then they meet Ole Miss, and that's where they kind of crumble a little bit. And the Royals were kind of the same way because they beat two of probably the hottest hitters, uh, two of the hottest teams in the American League that season. Uh, with I mean, the Angels were the best team in the American League, and Kansas City destroyed them, basically. 
not quite destroyed because a couple of the games went to extras, but they they still beat them and they still found a way and they got on base and they distributed runs and that's basically what Ole Miss did. They didn't necessarily need to be flashy in terms of it or hit a lot of home runs. I mean, they did hit a lot of home runs in the College World Series, but in game two, they didn't need to, is just what I'm saying. Their first run, uh, run was a home run. Uh, that was in the sixth inning, and then Oklahoma took the lead uh, on two runs in the seventh. And then it was a single, a wild pit, and then back-to-back wild pitches are what scored uh, runs for Ole Miss. And all of these coming with no outs, by the way. So it's basically just... Oklahoma bringing in their closer, and then you can kind of twist it and turn it to 2015 with the Royals kind of taking place of Ole Miss. Finding a way to get past the closer is basically what I'm trying to put it as. Because the Royals did that time and again, because uh, Jerice Familia still has the uh, record for most blown saves in a World Series with three, I think. Um, And... There were and I, I okay, it wasn't necessarily a save opportunity yet because it was the eighth inning for Trevin Michael, but you could kind of credit it as he was probably gonna go for a six out save. And I'm I, I believe that wholeheartedly he was going to go for a six out save. Uh but Old Miss delivered time and again, able to get on base. Uh Dylan DeLucia was named the College World Series most outstanding player. And he did so after posting a 0.54 earned run average. How nuts is that in two games? Less than one. Uh, He did a job. Absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah. Or in two wins. So, I think that's actually through the entire College World Series. Yeah, that's not the two games. But he had had two wins in there. Uh, And he had a sub-1 ERA. Heck, almost a sub-1. 0.5 0.5 ERA. So Dylan DeLucia absolutely deserved it. And uh, yeah, he said in a quote that they just never gave up. Um, I mean, you could say the same with Oklahoma, but they they were just on the wrong end of that because Oklahoma, like I said, undefeated going into the College World Series finals. And then uh, they fell late uh, in the College World Series finals. But, uh, you know, Ole Miss, absolutely tremendous effort. First, I this honestly shocked me that this was, this was their first championship in program history because Ole Miss... I wouldn't say they've been a powerhouse, but they've been a good team and a phenomenal conference. So it did kind of surprise me uh, that this was their first championship. This this would have not been Oklahoma's first championship. I think their last championship win was in the 80s, but this definitely would not have been uh, their first championship win had they gone all the way. Um, but make no mistake, Oklahoma, absolutely tremendous team, and I got to see them firsthand. I got to see a team that went all the way to the College World Series Finals. And although they beat KU three times, they swept KU. Um, you know, I'm still happy with the way that uh, that I was able to see them. This is Lane Gillespie with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Got the RCST replay on the other end of this break. You're listening to FM 1017, 1320, KLWN. Depend on it.